On this week's episode, St Kilda and Carlton have turmoil in their off-field departments, but both teams deal with it in ways you probably wouldn't expect. Melbourne are determined to make amends for the previous year's loss in the grand final. Essendon turned to a specialist trainer to help them. Collingwood suffer from the premiership hangover. Fitzroy pressed their case for another finals appearance and Lou Richards takes over from Jack Dyer for a year. All this and more coming up after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast. Uh, we are looking at 1959 today. This is the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. Uh, we are suffering Melbourne and Essendon supporters and need something to look back upon. This is why we do this show. That is it. Charlie, it's you and I today. The is, dream team. True, which is surprising because, I mean, 58, we could imagine why Moz and Kaz weren't here because, of, you know, Melbourne lost the grand final. But this is a Melbourne year. This is it. We come back. They're not there. Which, you know... If I had to suffer through the, 58. the horror of 58 on my own, I'm glad I get to live through the joy of 59 on my own. All I can just have it to myself. Yes, especially very, seeing, very selfish seeing of me. who uh, Melbourne defeat in 59 as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least it's only you That's to it. hand out those, uh, those reparations to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 1959. Yes. The end of the 50s. That's it. We there. We just... Creeping closer and closer to where we live. I know, yeah. Which it's, is insane. It's, it? it's, it's mad. Love it. Um, so, hit song, 1959, was The Platters, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. It was number one in Australia for 10 weeks. Oh, okay. So, so as we move on, I'm going to look to the Australian charts. Yeah, I like that. More so than uh, worldwide. Because, no. you know, see how music was in this country. 10 ours. weeks at the top of the charts. Yeah. It's a good run. Yeah. Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. I don't know it. No, we, okay. we do. If we listen. Yeah, yeah. Potentially. Um, other things that happened in 1959? 1959, other things that happened. Uh, so we had um, Alaska being admitted as the 49th U- US state on the 3rd of January. Uh, on the 7th of January, uh, the US recognised the new Cuban government led by Fidel Castro. And haven't things just gone swimmingly since? <laughs> um, on the 26th of January, on Australia Day, we had a Darwin granted city status in Australia. Darwin became a city, Australia. Um, On the 9th of March, the Barbie doll debuted for the very first time. Uh, Also in March that year, the formal construction of the Sydney Opera House began, which was earlier than I thought. Ah, there you go. Um, On the 1st of July, Australia's longest running children's television series first aired on the ABC. Play school. Nope. No. Then I don't know. Well, oh, BTN? Mr. Squiggle. That longest running. Yeah, apparently so. Really? Yeah. Well, 59. To when? To like I think I ran into the 90s. Yeah, yeah so. Well, play school would have to be catching up. No, play school's over 50. There you go, so, yeah. They'd be on their way to catching up, yeah. Yeah, there must be. Unless there's lots of repeat, I don't know. Write, write us in. If you yeah, know. absolutely. <laughs> um, and on the 23rd of September, the MS Princess of Tasmania 
made its maiden voyage across Bass Strait. So this is the first passenger um, ride-on, ride-off diesel ferry. So the the yeah. very first Spirit of Tasmania made its first What was it trip. called? The Princess of Tasmania. Oh, the Princess. Yeah. Um, also in this year, a bit of sports news, Australia beat the US 3-2 in the 1959 Davis Cup final. We won the Davis Cup. And uh, Jack Brabham won the 1959 Formula One Drivers' Championship. So there we go. Would you like to hear about some people who were born? Tell me. I've just got three. I thought I'd stick Australian this year. Yep. Uh, 31st of January, we had Anthony LaPaglia, the, the actor. Yes. Yep. Uh, on the 30th of August, we had Mark Jacko Jackson. Uh, and on the 1st of December, Wally Lewis, the rugby league footballer and oh, coach. King. Fatty Vorton was also born that year. But, you know, he did, who, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Rugby, the footy, the footy show, yeah. I assume he was a yeah, player. He was a rugby player also, yeah. yeah. That would make sense. So there we go. There we go. So 1959, the season. The Let's w- get stuck into it. Yes, all right. Because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Um, so teams played each other in a home and away season of 18 rounds, matches 12 to 18 with a home and away match reverse of 1 to 7. Yes. The way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way it should be. I don't know why we do all this fixturing at the moment. Um, the VFL threatened to move matches away from Windy Hill and the Junction Oval at the start of the season because of a dispute between uh, both of those clubs and the cricket clubs who... Had control of them. Yes, this is a massive. This has been a massive issue for years. For, yep. Um, is that just because of the timings of seasons again, probably, and I probably imagine. the state of the ground as well, where yeah. like they're keeping a lot of the money. The, like the football's making all the money, and they're keeping it all. Yeah, and the the grounds are looking terrible. Cricket club members were entitled to purchase football club season tickets for one third of the face value. But 1957-58, cricket club members had paid for their 58 football tickets at 57 prices instead of 58 prices. Following a ruling by the state ministers for lands, the cricket clubs paid the balance in mid-April and no matches were moved. So it took the VFL to step in for this to happen. Yeah, saying, well, you, otherwise you'll get nothing. Yeah, and so that's, yeah, the, obviously the members... So they really still have all the power. Picking, yeah. Yep. Um, we also have the second 18s matches being played as curtain raises to senior games now. Great. Which was an idea Len Smith developed. He, I think that was one he wanted. So he could see what, who was coming up instead of having... Well, as matches. a seconds coach. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a third He was a 19th coach. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Um, so having, he was obviously... Uh, having previously been played at the same time as the seniors at a different venue, the third 18s matches of the under-19s were now moved to a different venue to the seniors having been played as the main curtain raiser. Ah, oh, so they've skipped, they've skipped the level. Yeah, which okay. makes more sense. It does. Because that's who you're want, wanting to watch to, to come into the team, really. Yep, yep. and yeah. I miss that. I remember in the 90s watching... Yeah, watching the... the yeah, absolutely. Seeing all those players who were coming through, all the players getting dropped and making sure they're, you know, they're in form still. Um, the VFL also introduced the Premiership Cup this year. Yeah, just the flag before. Yep, so we'll talk about this maybe around the grand... When we talk about the grand final. Um, and forwards had an extra incentive to kick goals with GJ Coles offering a prize of £25 each to the team to kick the highest number of goals each round. So this hey. is the guy, GJ Coles, the guy who founded Coles. Yep, supermarket. the supermarket. Yeah, okay. Um, so £25 to the team. Each round, who kicks the highest. Each player in that team. No, just the team. So the whole team, okay. £25. Yep. Um, if the same number of goals has been kicked by two teams, then it's down to points. Yep. Um, and if that's the level as well, then they just share the prize. Amazing. And then there's an overall prize of £250 to the team with the most goals for the whole season. 
And I actually tweeted this the other day and uh, I heard back from Cole saying, this is a great idea. Let's uh, let's do it I'll, again. We'll, we'll hand it up to our higher echelon and see what happens. So Give 25 bucks to the club. 25 yeah. pounds. <laughs> What's the inflation? I love it. Um, yeah, so I will, uh, I'll check back in later to tell you who won that. Yeah. The results. Um, and we've got some Dacos dispatch news as well. Uh, Philomena Dacos, Peter's mother, is now in the country. She's arrived. Oh, fantastic. She yeah, made it. She made it. So we have both Dacos parents... Here, in the country just now. ready to meet. Now ready to meet and, uh, and produce. The great man. Uh, the, so that's all the league news I have. Are we ready to move up that ladder? Absolutely. From bottom to top. Do you want to do the honours? Yeah, or, or do you want me to do it? What? No, I would love to. You, you I'd love it. to. Yeah. So bottom of the ladder, we have the doggies. Footscray, unfortunately. Taking their very first VFL wooden spoon, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, because oh, because, yeah. They've always been... Bad, but not sorry. Not as bad as Hawthorne. They were never as bad as Hawthorne, Hawthorne. or Melbourne. Yeah. So with uh, three wins and 15 losses and a, a lowly percentage of 73.3, mm. unfortunate there. So captain and coach by Mr. Football, Teddy Whitten, he also won the BNF. Yeah. Um, and uh, wait until you know, who, who kicked the most goals. Um, so some debutants for Footscray were Bob Ware and Wally Trussler. And it wasn't a good start. Bob, Bob Ware, any well, relation? Uh, to Normware? Possibly. I don't Possibly. know. I, I okay. should, have, should have looked that up. Yeah. No. Um, do some research while I... Uh, yeah, I will, I will. While I quickly talk to you about their season. So they lost their first four games. They finally broke through for a win in round five against South Melbourne at home. They trailed at halftime, but eight goals to three after halftime set them up for a 27-point win. Ray Baxter was the star for them with five goals. Following the round six loss to Collingwood, the Globe newspaper declared the invention of a new type of handball called the Footscray Flick Pass. Oh, okay. Which uh, Teddy Whitten brought this in. It's, a bit, it's very much the Flick Pass. Just yeah. a quick quick tap with the hand, open hand. Um, but this would propel Footscray in the future to a bit more success and would make them a really fast team. Okay. Um, but it would be a long time between wins uh, following that round five, uh, round five win, yep. Uh, as Teddy Whitten was bringing in new players and a new game plan, they lost nine in a row before finally round 15 when they took on and beat the league-leading Melbourne Demons at Whitten Oval. Huge! So inspired by Teddy Whitten, the young doggies got stuck into the Ds who were, you know, in a bit of bad luck. Um, they led for most of the day, the doggies, and kind of just put Melbourne away, won by 14 points. Brian Pryor and Teddy Whitten with three goals each. Um, the other interesting story to come from this was Lou Richards had placed a bet during the week um, because so Lou Richards had taken over from Jack Dyer in his footy column. Jack Dyer was abroad for the year. He was in England. Taken over his footy column. Okay, yeah. Yep. So Jack Dyer's gone to England. Lou Richards has taken over and he wanted to add a bit of spice to some of his tips he was doing. So he said, if the doggies can beat the demons, I will clean Spencer Street or one of the, maybe it was Burke Street. I'll clean the street in Melbourne with a feather duster. <laughs> And so, sure enough... Um, <laughs> they did it. The doggies won, so a big crowd of people turned out to see Lou Richards clean the street with a feather duster. Um, and this kind of began that larrikin life that Lou Richards led. Yes. And he would constantly do these ridiculous bets. Things, yeah, yeah. And people would... That's how he kind of started making his name. Love it. Yeah. Uh, round 16 made it back-to-back -back wins as they counted for South Melbourne again. Trailing at three-quarter time, they kicked five goals to three in the last quarter. Um, and they had a nine-point win. Teddy Whitten kicked four. But overall, a very sad year for the Dogs, as I said, taking home the first wooden spoon in the VFL. Yeah. So just look that up as well. Bobby Ware, he was Norm's nephew. There you go. There you go. Kicked 19 in his first season. The second highest goal total 
for the uh, team. The uh, leader there was Ray Baxter with 35. So moving up the ladder, we've got in 11th, Richmond. Not looking great, unfortunately. With uh, four wins and 14 losses and a percentage of 73.9. So, yeah, very lowly, unfortunately. So, this year, coached by Alan McDonald and uh, captained by Roy Wright again. And we'll leave the best and fairest and the leading goalkeeper. Yeah, to make it a surprise. Now, why not? Absolutely. <laughs> um, some debutants include, include Graham, Gay, Gar, Graham Gahan. G-A-H-A-N. Gahan, yeah. Graham Gahan. I almost thought it was Graham Graham. And uh, <laughs> Dick Grimmond. Lovely. Uh, they lost their opening four games and also got their first win in round five like the Doggies, which was a 19-point win over reigning Premier's Collingwood. Huge. Uh, Tigers jumped them early with four goals, six to one goal, two, and then were held, but were held to only six points in the second quarter as the Pies took the lead. Uh, but then they kicked six goals, eight to one point in the third and managed to hold the Pies at bay in the final quarter as they came back. Dummett and McDonald with three each. That's it. Collingwood have used all of the luck. We have, we've talked about that, yeah. Um, <laughs> round eight, they took on an inaccurate Bulldogs at Witten Oval who, who kicked one goal ten in the first half. While the more accurate Tigers kicked four goals four, they kicked away in the second half to win by 26 points. Dummett and Dahan with three each. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all day. Uh, round nine, they made a back-to-back wins with a five-point thriller over Fitzroy at Punt Road Oval. Uh, they scores were pretty tight at three-quarter time, but Fitzroy had kicked very inaccurately, 10 goals, 18, um, and only managed three points to Richmond's three goals after three-quarter time, so Richmond got the win there by five points. Yep. Their only other win for the season came in round 13, which was a 28-point win over North Melbourne at Punt Road, a six-goal to one second quarter, helping them win Peter Morris with five goals. But otherwise, a pretty sad year yeah. for Richmond. No good. It's funny, like... I mean, we know they've been not great for a while, but like looking at them in in present times, it's like how were they this? You know. But we know Richmond. Richmond have had their like their three down periods. Yeah. This is the second. This is this the second is of them. Yes, of the exactly. Three. Yeah. Um, and let's enjoy it while we can. Yeah. Well, exactly. Bloody sick of it now. <laughs> it, well, we're all over it. Yeah. So uh, our lead goal kicker that this year was Rob Dummett with forty five. Yep. And our best and fairest winner was Dave Cousins. He won it the year, the previous year as well. There you go. So he's done well, the kid. Uh, moving up. Moving up. So next up are those cats, Geelong. Oh, slowly improving after back-to-back spoons. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. At least they've got out of that position. So five wins, 13 losses for the boys and a percentage of 78.5, which is pretty miserable. Mm. So, coached by Reg Hickey and captained by Neil Trezise. Uh, there you go. Hickey's been there for ages. I know. We're looking at that. It just just looking at this, it's 53. It's been forever, though. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd imagine that at this stage, well, you don't even have to imagine looking ahead, uh, that the goodwill of him winning those couple has, kept him, there. Yeah. has kept him there, but he doesn't have long. There you go. Um, some debutants we've got are Alistair Lord, Frank Pomeroy, Hugh Earnshaw, and Ron Van Thag. Uh, Alistair Lord's a good one, so Kaz, can you tell us a little bit about him? Okay, Alistair Lord. Uh, he was a brilliant roaming centreman who's elusive style, and him 1962 Brownlow medal. Um, so a lot to look forward to there. Um, in that year, he earned the Brownlow medal uh, with a run, it was a runaway victory by nine votes. 
Um, he alternated as half-forward early in his career. Lord was a strong mark who could run all day. In his big year, 1962, he averaged, get this, 30 kicks a game. All right. Look, there was enormous pressure on Geelong this year to improve, 1959, because it was their 100th anniversary. It was their 100th year as a club, being founded in 1859. Well, and also just the embarrassment of two fl- two spoons in a row. Well, that too. Um, their first win came in round three against Richmond. Neil Trezai's won the toss, and the Cats got away to an excellent start with seven goals in the first quarter, including three to Trezai's himself. Uh, so really trying to play a captain's role there. The Tigers reduced it to 15 at halftime, but another five goals in the third quarter, and the Cats had a 44-point advantage at the final change and went on to win by 25. Uh, then two wins for a row. They made it, they made it two wins. They made it two and two. Uh, they jumped out of the blocks to lead by 29 points at quarter time against the Lions. Fitzroy came back within three points. It was a neck-and-neck neck third term to set up a thrilling last quarter with the Maroons taking the lead with goals from Abrahams, but the game seemed lost for the Cats. But they came back in a terrific burst of goals by Cook and Yates, who kicked one on the final siren to see the Cats home by 10 points. Uh, their next win came in round 10 when they accounted for the, the Doggies. A three-goal win at Cardinia Park. Um where they controlled the game all day, although they only kicked four, bo- four behind to two goals in the opening quarter. So didn't look good, but they then made, a, made amends. They ahead. Lovely. Around 13 and 14 were their final two wins. They made it back-to-back wins to end the season. Um, not end the season, but you know, in the middle of the season. So one of those was a nine-point win over the Hawks, who were doing quite well at that stage. They came back from three goals down at three-quarter time. Uh, kicking six goals in that last quarter. And in round 14, they had a thumping win over the Tigers, uh, winning by 44 points, kicking 12 goals, 15 to the, the Tigers, six goals, seven. Uh, but that was their last win of the round of the year. They lost their final four games to kind of peter out and, and finish in that lower echelon where they've been the last few years. Well, you wonder, just thinking about it, like Geelong as a team, I guess because of a... Uh We've still got districts and things like that, um, like pools of where players you're pulling from. Yeah. They've got a, obviously a strong area to yep. pull from, but you're not you're not really luring players from anywhere else to Geelong, are you? No, that, not like they are now. No, exactly. <laughs> so it's tri- It must be tricky. Like when you, uh, is it, I mean, a totally different setup to what it is now. But mm. you think about you know a small market, very small market team must yeah. have been hard. Like they're not, you're not going to get a a free eight, you know, someone who wants to transfer yeah. to Geelong. Well, we do know Polly Farmer is on the horizon. Yes. So they will get there. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It is. Especially how much experience they've lost and how they built themselves up to a powerhouse to then fall. To those so left. far, yeah, well, that's it. That's it. Yeah, they had such a great young team that just kind of dissipated pretty quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. So with, with Geelong, we had the best and fairest winner being Colin Rice and Fred Wooler, their leading goal kicker, with 27. Not a great output, <laughs> unfortunately. So next up on the up on the ladder, next spot, we've got the uh, Swannies, South Melbourne. Bit of a jump here now with eight wins and ten losses. So we're getting away from the away from the uh, lowly the dungeons. There's quite a bit of a, bit yeah, of a, bit of a gap there. there. Three, four, five, and then up to eight. Um, so uh, South Melbourne with eight wins, ten losses, and a percentage of 103.4. So not too bad there. Uh, captain coached by Ron Clegg again this year. Um, and, yeah, what was happening uh, down at Lakeside? All right, so got some, some debutantes for you. Uh, Ray Landorf, Peter Rice, 
And Burke and Wills. <laughs> Burke and Wills making their deb- debuts for South Melbourne. So we've got Dick Burke and Headley Wills. Amazing. Good on them. Debuting for the same team. You, you thought they were out, but they're back in. They're back in. Beautiful. Um, and... <laughs> A really interesting side note here for you as well. In late July, South Melbourne signed Tasmanian champion Daryl Baldock to a contract. Oh, really? Um, I I looked into this and Daryl Baldock had actually also signed with the Demons about three years prior. And just never come. Yeah, so the whole theory behind that was he just didn't want people annoying him in Tasmania. So he just keeps signing these forms so clubs would leave him alone with no intention of ever coming. He didn't want people from Victoria annoying him. Yeah, he just wanted to play football in Tassie. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna always play here, so I'll just sign a contract with them, so no one else annoys me, so I'm tied to a club. And then, then that form two, I think it was a form two, would expire, and he'd sign with another club. Amazing. So he did that with Melbourne and then South Melbourne, and then eventually we know he signs with St Kilda. Yes, and actually makes the move. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, does. yeah. Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting. That is, he was just sick of people pestering <laughs> yeah. him. I oh, love that's a great that. move. It, do, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, round one, they took on the reigning premiers at Victoria Park, Collingwood, and a daunting task, you would think, but they started like a house on fire, kicking five goals four to the Pies, one goal four. Their fast, vigorous ball movement was seldom... Their fast, vigorous... They were fast and vigorous, and the ball mo- ball was seldom seen in the Pies' forward line. Mm. They continued the thrashing throughout the game and eventually won by 41 points. What an embarrassment. With Fred Goldsmith and Brian McGowan kicking four goals each, the front page of the Sporting Globe read, Mighty Magpies canned. Ron Clegg was so delighted in the victory, he cheekily asked Bob Skilton to pull down the Pies' recently unfilled flag after the game. <laughs> I think during the art, during drinks. Uh, they made it two from two with a 16-point win over the Maroons, the Lions at home. They led all day. Skilton was the star, kicking five goals. Um, and Skilton, yeah, the complete master in initiating many moves that kept the South attacking. They then beat the Bombers thanks to a misunderstanding between forward Max Oten and the South coaches. Late in the game, uh, Oten was told to move to full forward move from full forward to the half forward flank but he went in the wrong side of the ground when he was about to move to the proper place he marked and kicked the goal to seal the game stop love it uh, giving them a 13 point win Skilton leading the goal kicking with another three uh, so thinking they're on top of the top of the world there with those first three rounds to start the season yeah and they were equal top but then they lost four in a row although Skilton did kick 13 goals across those four goal games I'm just yes. it blows me away how he can just dominate the. I never realised he dominated no, the scoring. No, neither did I. I thought, yeah. Um, round eight was time for the Lakeside Showdown, and, and after an even first quarter, <laughs> the Swans made their move and kicked fourteen goals to three thereafter to win by fifty-six points. Skilton with another five. Jeez. They made a back-to-back wins over when. A, they made a back-to-back wins with a, a, their second win there over Carlton, which was even more impressive since Carlton were undefeated on top of the ladder at this stage. They had 16 scoring shots in the third quarter to take control of the game and win by 10 points. Skilton with three. They beat Richmond by 33, where Skilton kicked five. Geelong by 34, with Skilton kicking eight. Yeah. They now sat in the top four by a game, and finals seemed like a real possibility. They lost their next eight... Sorry. They lost their next five matches to end those hopes. Uh. They had a final round win over North in round 17. Too little, too late. They had a final win over North Melbourne in round 17 by a whopping 92 points. Mm. Um, their defence holding North to only six goals. Brian McGowan kicked seven, Skilton five, and Oten with four. Dead rubber, though. Um, yeah, dead rubber. I'm pretty sure Skilton kicked goals in every single game. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. He was their lead goal kicker. He kicked 60 for the year. Unbelievable. As a midfielder. Yeah. 
crazy. Um, and you won't be surprised to know he won the best and fairest as well. Is he shaping up as the captain for our team of the year? Oh, he's got to, doesn't he? He's got to be up there. I mean, maybe Brass, but Skilton. There's a lot. Well, it depends on uh, how many Melbourne yeah. supporters we invite to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kicked goals in every single game. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, all right, let us move up the ladder. Continue up the ladder, and we're not going far. We're just going to the other side of the lake for St Kilda here. So uh, with a very even season of nine wins and nine losses and a percentage of 94.3, uh, Saints, yeah, didn't look too crash hot, but, you know, we'll see. Um, but when I tell you what happened off-field, you'll be quite surprised they finished so high. Oh, okay. Um, so Some debutants just oh. beforehand were Lester Ross, John Garlic, and a guy named Lindsay Fox. Oh, really? Yep. Um, the club had a very messy off-season with uh, Killigrew appointed coach of Sandville Club Norwood. Yeah. He said he didn't want to go. My heart's with St Kilda. Um, but also declared, I'm not coaching if the current committee remains. So a members meeting was organised. Fights broke out. It was very heated. Um, and after the voting and everything had been redone, members of kind of both sides of these argument were appointed. So Killigrew himself was actually appointed to the board, as were some of the people he didn't want. And so because of that... So it was kind of a mixed board. Yeah. Like it was like two tickets on the one pretty board. Pretty much, yeah. That's so ridiculous. because of that, Killigrew's like, no, nah, I wanted them all gone, so I'm leaving. So he packed his bags. Um, shout out to Russell Holmesby as well for his tireless and killed historical records. Um, so the Saints... Uh, um, announced Jim Francis was yeah. the new coach, which is a whole nother story as well. Mm. Um, and you'd think after all that um, off-field drama that St Kilda would just plummet down the ladder like we know they usually do. Yeah. But not the case because they've got, they're finishing eighth here, so better than four other teams. That's it. Um, round one was a win for the Saints over the Doggies. First game, Lester Ross was the star, beating no less than Teddy Witten that day. Two losses, losses followed, but then they won five of the next six. This started with a win over Collingwood at Junction Oval by 27 points. The plucky Saints holding the Magpies to four goals in the first three quarters and Alan Morrow kicking three. Then wins over Hawthorne and Richmond had them in the four. Before their round seven game against Fitzroy, young superstar fullback Verdon Howell was yes. made unavailable for national service and was housed in the barracks across the road. Stop. Yep. In fact, on game day, the only two there were Howell and his minder. Oh. But more so like making a point like you can't go... We know you want to play, but no, you've got to be here. He wasn't actually doing anything. That's incredible. Um, so he's, the miner said to Hal, you know, what do, what do you want to do? What are, you, what are your plans for that? He's like, oh, I want to play footy. And Miner's like, well, I want to play golf, so let's let's uh, make an arrangement. Miner went off Miner went off to play golf, and Hal showed up at the footy ground and helped St Kilda to a seven-point win over Fitzroy. Oh, massive. However, after the game, the military police approached Hal, and he was charged with going AWOL. <laughs> oh, well. Um Round eight, they capitulated in another lakeside pennant, as we know they always do. <laughs> then Billy Young had a day out against the Swans, kicking. Um, then Billy Young had a day out against the Cats, kicking six. Uh, the Saints easily winning that game. Uh, then they played the Demons at Junction Oval again, and remember last week, last season, yeah. it was an absolute thriller, sellout, and the Saints won by a point. Um, this game wasn't quite a sellout, but it was equally as close. Oh, really? The Saints storming back in the final quarter, but this time ultimately falling one point short. So it went the other way. Went the other way. One point being the average, the most common margin. I know. I can't believe that. Um, there was an uproar as the umpire Bitesell failed to award an obvious free kick to Alan Morrow in the goal square in the dying moments as well. Oh. 
written, read from a St Kilda book. <laughs> uh, they only won three of their final nine games. That was over the Dogs by 11, Bombers by 14, and Tigers by 26. In the final game of the season, fullback Verdon Howe was moved to the forward line, and the club knew Howe was a possibility for the Brownlow. Uh, they approached him about the move, and Coach Francis said he'd probably attract more attention in the forward line. So trying to get him that Brownlow. Howe made the decision, despite speculation, it was 100% the coach's move. The Saints lost the final game to Fitzroy by seven goals. Um, and Moz will reveal later on whether Howell won the Brownlow or not. So mm. tune in. Um, but ultimately, for the club, um, for the implosions that happened... They did okay. He, yeah, and their new president, Graham Huggins, was only 38 at the time. That's my age. That's really... I can't imagine yeah. being president, president of a club. club. Yeah. Um, and he kept that team united and on the right path. So the impression that Killigrew had had on the club really was still driving them forward and changed what the club had become. And well, that's we'll what we see that to be. We'll yeah. see that in the, in the next few years as well. But yeah. Yeah, that's really impressive. Isn't it? So um, didn't get a captain by Neil Roberts this year, they were. Uh, their lead goal kicker was Bill Young with 45, best and fairest, third and hell. Yeah, there you go. So there we go. And Neil Roberts, the, uh, the reigning Brownlow medalist as well. Yes. Uh, which takes us up to uh, Hawthorne. Hawks, they're pretty higher up as well. Yeah, well, same same uh, thing. Uh, nine wins and nine losses. Yep. 112.7% though. So looking pretty good That's, there. That's uh, better than two of the finalists. Yeah. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's a strange year, this one, with the, with the percentages going on. They're going up and down. Uh, so captained by uh, John Kennedy and coached by Jack Hale. Yep. Uh, what happened uh, down at Glenferry? So some debutantes are Stead Hay and Barry Toy. Barry Toy. Barry Toy. Season started with an 11-point loss to Fitzroy at Brunswick Street Oval, but was followed by three strong wins against Geelong by 39, Footscray by 44, and South Melbourne by 31. Not bad. That's a good way to start the year. Yeah, you'd be happy with that. But the side was struggling badly for consistency, and a win over Richmond in round seven by five goals was followed by a loss to North Melbourne by the same margin the next week. Then in round nine, the Hawks lost to Melbourne at home by 25 points, with the papers highlighting an incident where Melbourne tall uh, Bob Johnson, who was known as the greatest actor in the game, oh. became incensed at Hawthorne full forward John Peck, who was playing dead at his feet. Uh. The Hawks rallied next week to knock off the much-fancied Bombers by five points after kicking four goals to one in the last quarter, but then lost the next three games by just a total of 16 points to effectively end their season. Um... The Hawks restored some pride by winning four of their last five games to finish seventh with nine wins, nine losses. Um, but in a similar vein to the previous year, seven of the nine losses were by less than two goals. Oh, see, that's a killer. In, in we fact, did talk about that last year yeah, as well, didn't we? In fact, those seven losses were by a total of 41 points, so less than a goal each on average. So, you know, how easy is it to turn that around? You're top of the ladder if you win those games. Yeah, and that's what, kind of what you've got to learn to do. Yeah, that's it. Win the ones you look like you're going to lose. Yep. That's when you get yourself in trouble. Um, so is that all on Hawthorne? That's all on That's Hawthorne. That's it. Yeah. So uh, best and fairest this, that year was Alan Woodley, and the lead goal kicker was Gary Young with thirty-five. So some pretty low um, yeah. lead goal kickers here, apart from the midfielder Bobby Skilton. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, so moving up the ladder then to uh, North Melbourne, North Melbourne uh, with ten wins and eight losses. And a very lowly percentage of 89.3 Which that. is surprising when you look at how they started the season as well. Yeah. Um, Captain Coach? Uh, coached by Wally Carter this year and captained by John Brady. John Brady. All right, so some debutantes. We've got Robin Poole, Jim Little and Barry Cheatley. 
Hey. Round one, they travelled down the highway to Geelong, much like they did in the opening round of 1925, uh, and they also beat the Cats again, like they did in the opening round of 1925. Is this? Uh, is it, are we still on this tradition where the Cats uh, always play the first round at home? Oh, yeah, Wasn't that their point. thing? Yeah, I yeah. Don't know, maybe. Um, Alan Aylett kicked four goals for them in this opening game. Uh, round two against Richmond North had scoring avenues the Richmond defence just couldn't stop. With Al Montello and John Douglas teaming well to kick nine goals between them, propelling them to a 28-point win. They won a war of attrition with St Kilda, getting up by five points, but then had to contend with seven players being seen by the Medicos afterwards. They beat Essendon by three points at Windy Hill for the first time since 53. They were lucky to beat an inaccurate Fitzroy by three points and then beat South to be 6-0 and zero and sitting second on the ladder, only on percentage. In round seven, they took on Carlton in a battle of the unbeatens hey. uh, and unfortunately lost that before bouncing back to beat Hawthorne and Footscray to sit second with a record of 8-1. and one. See, that's quite interesting. I remember, like, That's one of those things where after a few rounds when two clubs haven't clashed and they haven't lost. Yeah. Six rounds in, two teams to be unbeaten is great. I'm trying to think of the like the longest Ge- run Geelong that's been. Geelong and St Kilda in 2010. That's when I, that's the one I was, and it was about 12, 11 or 12, yeah, wasn't it? Ridiculous. That was the one I could remember. I just couldn't remember who it was. Yeah, like one of the best matches. Yeah. of that decade easily. Um, yeah, so they were second on the ladder after round nine, eight and one. Um, in the win over Footscray, Noel Teasdale was reported for allegedly kicking doggies John Gillard. He was given eight weeks by the tribunal. So it was no surprise that through a combination of suspensions and injuries, uh, they fell in the heap in the second half of the season. Yeah. Uh, round 12, they beat Geelong again. Um, round 13, John Dugdale was pushing himself with a sore groin. It was forced to rest and wouldn't play for the in the loss to Richmond. A 10-point win over St Kilda in round 14 would be their last win of the season. Uh, where they were still in, they were still in the four at this stage, but then they lost their final four games, um, only falling out of the top four after their round 16 loss to Fitzroy um, and still in with a chance going into the final round but with a very poor percentage especially after that 92 point drubbing by South Melbourne um, they really they fell away so what looked like certainty certain finals after the halfway mark has really changed it's really a tale of two halves isn't it that one yeah incredible um, so, leading goal kicker and best and fairest. Best and fairest for North Melbourne was Alan Aylett. Yep. And the lead goal kicker, Peter Schofield, with 46. Great. Yeah. Nice. So, taking us up to fifth, just missing out on finals, yep. unfortunately, Fitzroy. Maroons. Uh, yeah, the, the Maroons. With They're the Lions now. The Lions, yes. Yeah. With uh, 10 wins, 7 losses, and 1 draw. So that draw is what kept them out. It is. We'll talk about that. And we will. Uh, so coached by uh, the great man, Len Smith, captained by Alan Gale this year. Butch. Butch Gale. Butch Gale, yeah. Uh, debutant was Barry Piggott. Piggott or Piggott? Piggott. P-I-G-G-O-T. Okay. Round one, they opened their season with an 11-point win over the Hawks in a very high-scoring game. Abrahams was six. But the next nine weeks, they would struggle. Their only win would be over the Demons by 13 points in the Smith Family Cup. Smith, hey. Smith uh, Len leading that 2 0. Yes. They lost, and he, here's what happened they lost to Geelong by 10, kicking 9 19. They lost to North, kicking 9 goals 29. They lost to St Kilda, kicking 5 goals 10. Um, and then they kicked 10 goals 21 at Richmond. So in those matches, they kicked a collective 28 goals, 66 points. Oh, so that's killed them. Yeah. 
So there's four losses in a row. Uh, round 10 against the top of the ladder, Carlton, the, the Lions, after weeks in, of inaccuracy, turned it on at the Brunswick Street Oval. They kicked six goals, two to four behinds in the opening quarter before another seven goals, two in the second quarter to Carlton's one goal, one. They led by 73 points at halftime. Richmond, the, sorry, the Fitzroy Ruck sweeping the ball forward at every opportunity. Carlton kicked six to start the third quarter, but the Lions continued their dominance in the last quarter to win, run out 66-point winners. Amazingly, they only had five goal scorers. Kevin Wright and Graham Gotch with five, uh, Ongarello and Abrams with four, and Graham Campbell with three. Massive. This is win number 99 on Peter Carter's list as well. <laughs> uh, round 11. The following week, they had a terrible first three quarters against the Doggies at Winton Oval. They managed only one behind in the first quarter and then two goals for the next two quarters to trail by 21 points at three-quarter time. The first 10 minutes of the last quarter, the Lions were playing like a side beaten, but the young Dogs lost some poise and the Lions slammed on eight goals to win by 20 points. Ongarello kicked six goals straight and marked everything. This is win number 53 on Peter Carter's list. <laughs> Uh, the Lions then began to turn things around and bought the form they were known for the previous season. They beat the Hawks by goal and then South by five points. Uh, but it would prove the pivotal Smith family clash that their season would hinge on. Taking on the Demons at the MCG, the Lions kept pace with the Ds all day. And with scores level late, the Lions were heading into attack. Just when it seemed the ball was going to go through, for any kind of score to put them in front, the ball took an off break and hit the behind post. Stop. The siren went. The result was a draw, and a costly draw. However, Norm has still not beaten Len. No. I found that quite interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Mm. Strong wins over Hawthorne and North saw them pushing for the four. Round 17 was crucial against Essendon, and they couldn't win that game. They needed a miracle to make finals. They had to beat the Saints and hope the Bulldogs won over Essendon. And this was wishful thinking. The Saints, sorry, the Lions won by 42, but the Bombers won by 43. Of course. Um, the two points from the Demons game would have made seen them make finals. Yeah. Overall, the Lions had 182 more shots on goal than their opponents this season and blamed their bad kicking for missing the finals. Oh, no. Yeah. And they missed out on the 25 pounds from Coles. Yeah, they did. Um, also in sad news, uh, Percy Trotter and George Holden both passed away in 59. Oh, Percy Trotter just... must have been quite old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just look at that. Like, Len Smith, he's coaching one of their... I don't want to say... Well, I don't want to be rude about them, but not, not a great Fitzroy team. Like, you think of the players they've had in the past. I don't think I even mentioned Kevin Murray at all there, did I? No. Yeah. So, I mean, well, yeah. But it's, as a team, I guess they've been pretty good at having excellent players yeah. in a pretty mediocre team. So like St Kilda. Yeah. 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 But uh, it's a bit, a bit of a shame for Big Len. It's, it's a long way from the dominant team they once were. That's it. Absolutely. From the men's team. Best of Ferris was Ron Harvey, and their lead goal kicker was Kevin Wright with 43. I, so, feel, like, I feel like Cass is going to be disappointed that we didn't talk about Kevin Murray. But well, I mean, he should that's be what I, exactly. Exactly, that's what you get. So, uh, yeah, heading into our finalists. Uh, fourth on the ladder, we've got the Bombers. Essendon. Bombers scraping in. 11 wins, 7 losses, 112.4%. One percent more, hmm. less than Fitzroy. So really, that half game yep. got him in there. Luck. So coached by none other than Dick Reynolds again, again, and captain by Jack Clark this yep. year. Yep. Um, some debutants were Barry Capuano, Brian Sampson, David Shaw, and Ian Bluey Shenton, who very recently passed away. Ah. Um, so 
Kaz, tell us a little bit about Bluey Shen- Shelton, and there's a, there's a really good link to Ned Kelly here as well. Oh, cool. Okay, Ian Bluey Shelton, 91 games, uh, two goals, uh, a ruthless centre-half back for Essendon, recruited from Avenel, who uh, built a reputation as one of the toughest players in the game. Um, he came back from a severe eye injury in early 1964 at the family farm where it was thought he might lose his sight. So that's Ian Bluey Shelton. Uh, Carlton beat them in the opening game, uh, but they bounced back in better fashion against St Kilda to record their first win of the season at home at Windy Hill by six goals. They then lost their next two and fans were beginning to despair. Maybe the gliders were back. <laughs> the um, gliders with Jeff Gamble back. wrenching his knee against North in round four, um, Things looked dire, but luckily Bluey Shelton came in as like a ready-made replacement. In round five, the Bombers kicked one goal eight in the first quarter against Geelong. Still led by ten, but this was you know a bit of a bad sign. But they improved their accuracy somewhat to run away after halftime to win by five goals. They won three on the trot, but then lost three straight. So by round ten, they sat ninth, and finals were probably out of reach. Yeah. Around this time, the club turned to the chief lecturer of physical education at Melbourne University to help them regain some of their form. He devised some more specific training for each player and uh, changed the uh, and this change worked wonders. Amazing! So really, like this is the first evidence of uh, like specialized training and like yeah. weights training and stuff for different players, which uh, Haw- I think Hawthorne started doing as well, but. Essendon really saw results. So started in round 11 with a win over Richmond by 65 points, which included eight goals, uh, an eight-goal to five... No, an eight-goal rampage in the third quarter and saw Ron Evans kicking nine goals. They smashed the Blues by 40 before the Saints knocked them off by 14 points at Junction Oval. But the Bombers wouldn't lose another game for the home-and-away season after this. They won a hard-fought slog with South Melbourne by 17 at Windy Hill where Ron Evans kicked another nine goals. They had a victory over North Melbourne. Then they came down to that round 17 game against Fitzroy. Yep. Because both teams were gunning for that final spot in the four. The Bombers started well, kicking five goals, one to five behinds in the opening quarter. And that kind of proved That's to be the difference. The, yeah. the Bombers winning by 20 in the end. They consolidated top four spot with their final round win uh, over Footscray, 43 points, to sneak into fourth position by two points. Huge. 1959 was also the year the club's theme song was born. See the Bombers Fly Up, uh, thought to have been written by Kevin Andrews in the home of player Jeff Gamble, uh, at which time Kevin Andrews was living. The song is based on the tune of Johnny Hamp's 1929 song, Keep Your Sunny Side Up, but with an increased tempo. Jeff Gamble came up with the line, See the Bombers Fly Up, while Kevin Andrews contributed all or most of the rest. At the time, Keep Your Sunny Side Up was the theme song for the popular Melbourne-based TV show on Channel 7, Sunny Side Up. (laughs) As you do. Okay. Lead goal kicker? The lead goal kicker for Essendon was Ron Evans with 78. Huge. I and think he led the league. I think, I it was think a, he did. I think he was a Coleman medalist. Best and fairest, Huey Mitchell. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so taking us up to uh, third place, we sit the Pies. The Pies. The yes. reigning premiers. That's it. The Magpies with 12 wins and 6 losses and a good percentage of 121.6. So they, they haven't fallen. They're looking pretty good. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. But let me tell you about this yes, season. Absolutely. So again, coached by Fonz Kine, captained by Frank Tuck. Tell me what. Tell me what happened. Uh, they partied all summer long. Of course they did. And really struggled to focus on the new season. 
Um, they suffered that embarrassing loss to South at home the day they unfurled the, the premiership flag. It's doggies 2016 all over again. Yeah, in fact, they suffered five straight defeats to start the season. Oh. Sitting dead last after round five without a single win. Oh. So, very embarrassing. And, and People would be tearing up their memberships. Oh. I mean, you'd have a bit of grace after winning the flag and yeah. it's so early, but you'd, you'd be worried. So, that included loss of, well, Melbourne beat them in round two. Um, and then it was Carlton knocking them off in round three, St Kilda at, at Junction Oval in round four, and round five being smashed by the Tigers at Punt Road as well. So. See, that's no good. The, fir- the first couple there you can kind of get away with. But well, not, not South Melbourne at Victoria No, not Park, South Melbourne, but-, but Melbourne and Carlton is like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, their first win came in round six over Footscray by 41 points, and they followed this up with wins over a uh, win over Geelong before Fitzroy got them in the wet by 10 um, at this point of the season, they'd kind of been written off as well. Yeah. And, this, and it was written in the papers, you know, they're done and dusted, and this really spurred them on, and they, they got their act together well, finally. Two and eight at that stage, it sounds like. Yeah. They began with a 37-point win over Essendon at Windy Hill, coming from two goals down at three-quarter time, with a nine-goal-to-one final quarter, their first win at Windy Hill in seven years. They kept this up against North the following week, with six goals, seven-to-one goal in the opening quarter, which won them the game. Yeah. Uh, then a tight game against Hawthorne at Victoria Park came down to the final minutes with the Pies trailing by five points. Errol Hutchinson marked and kicked the winning goal 30 minutes into time on, uh, into the final quarter to give the Pies a one-point win. Love it. Uh, after a revenge on South Melbourne, it was another meeting with their nemesis Melbourne. The Barassi-led Demons got out to a good lead, but the Pies stayed with them, slowly picking back goal after goal. The Pies took the lead late by four points, and in the shadows of the game, Barassi kicked towards goal. The siren blasted, and the goal umpire stood still for a moment before signalling a point. To the disgust of the Demons fans, the Magpies had got him by three points this oh. time. Probably a good reminder. If I was Norm Smith, I'd actually be all right with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they had a classic encounter with Carlton before the game Collingwood Secretary Gordon Clayton and four Collingwood footballers all received death threats, supposedly linked to a betting plunge. Oh. Uh, didn't affect the outcome as the Pies kicked away to win by 11 points. In August, their club opened a brand new licensed social room, the first club to do this. Hey. Yep. Even uh, Dallas Brooks came to open it, the, uh, the, the governor. Governor, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the round 16 win over Richmond, Collingwood's Grand Fellows kept dropping marks. Um, and the crowd really got stuck into him. And he was like, what's going on? Until he realised he'd broken his arm. Uh, also in this game, Murray Wiedemann became the 150th player to kick 150 goals. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a fun That's fact. cool. Uh, wins over Footscray and Geelong had Collingwood winning their last 10 games to finish third in the ladder and gave them a pretty good tilt at back-to-back flags. Yeah, yeah, looking good. Yeah, they're, they're although having to do it the hard way without the double chance. That's it. But looking good at the right end of the season. Yeah. So best and fairest, Thorold Merritt, ah, and one, lead yeah. goal kicker was Murray Wiedemann with thirty six. Yeah. So I was just just looking through that list of who were their lead goal kickers. I'll tell you what. There's since since they lost, you know, your Ron Todds and those guys. As we said, that was the curse. There have been some very low scoring lead goal kickers even for, uh, last, for Collingwood. Even though last season they had the leading, they had Ian Brewer. Yes, so that was the high. That's the highest one they've had in a long time. Yeah. But other than that, it's been forties, thirties, twenties. Yeah. Um, which moves us to Carlton. Which moves us to Carlton in second place. So it's a jump up for them. Yeah, 13 wins and five losses with a 109.3 percentage. Uh, 
captained by Bruce Comden and coached by Ken Hans. Mm, there you go. Yes. Uh, new coach as well. New coach. Yeah, that's we'll it. talk about that. So debutante was Maury Sankey. So the Blues had slumped to seventh in '58, prompting. Uh, prompting three organisers to present Club Secretary Alan Cowie with a petition signed by 250 members calling for an extraordinary general meeting ah. to organise another committee ballot. Both moves were successful. Half the committee was not to return this time and the newcomers were all supporters of the push for Hands as coach. Nice. So remember, Hands had been pushed out by Francis. There was that massive falling out where he'd been dropped and then blamed for a loss and the yes. season had unravelled. Yeah, he'd been made the scapegoat. Yeah. Um, so technically, Francis wasn't sacked. Rather, he was unsuccessful in his application for the for senior coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ken Hands was successful. So Jim Francis left Princess Park and never spoke to Hands again. Although I do have some words with them later on, but like they were done. That they was weren't friends. Yeah. Um, and he goes to coach St Kilda. We've already talked about that. Yeah. Um, and you'd think after all this, Carlton had just like they'd fallen a heap. Yeah. Social, all this Huge. unrest off off season. Um, the Blues won the opening game against Essendon in the first term through the ruck dominance of Graham Donaldson. Carlton produced quality, sparkling football to leave the Dons flailing. It hurts me to say that. <laughs> they kicked seven goals, four in the opening 25 minutes with Sergio Silvani kicking four. Oof. The Bombers tried to get back in the game, but John Nichols playing across the back line held up many attacking moves through his marking. The game developed into a fast and exciting match with the Blues running out winners by 14 points. Round two, Laurie Kerr was starring for the Blues uh, as Footscray tried three different players on him, including Mr. Football, uh, who got stuck into him in the second quarter. Uh, Witten broke even with Kerr, but after halftime, he was forced to go to the to go onto the ball to try and lift his team. In the meantime, Laurie Kerr continued to amass possessions in the middle. George Ferry and Bruce Combin played well in defence. Brian Buckley took some good marks on the forward line, but wasted his, his, his opportunities um, with Carlton running out convincing winners there over Footscray in round two. Round three, they took on Collingwood, um, whose rucks were on top in the first 15 minutes before Graham Donaldson took over. Well backed up by John Nichols, their back line kept their opponents under pressure with Bruce Combin starring in the ruck and then in the back, sorry, Bruce Combin starring in the back pocket. Carlton were too fast and overpowered the Magpies in the marking contests. After the game, an irate Magpie fan knocked, jumped the fence and threatened and had threatening words with umpire Bob Nunn. A police... Excuse me. A policeman rushed to the umpire's aid saying, hit him and I'll knock your block off. <laughs> and then the umpire's trainer chipped in and said, yeah, I'll be in it too. This was our Al Baston, former Australian middleweight champion. The Barracker wisely fled the scene. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> um, round five, they knocked off the demons at Princess Park. Uh, in, uh, I didn't quite understand what this meant. In this game, goal umpire Jack Lee was the kookaburra. Carlton's Bruce Combin was knocked over by Melbourne's Ian Ridley after Combin had kicked the football. Umpire Alan Nash paid a free downfield and the two players exchanged words. Then umpire Lee ran out and had words with them. But after the game, there were no reports. It seemed umpire Lee worked for a cash register company and one of those cash registers had just been installed at Combin's Laverton shop. Combin said, Combin said that Lee had just wanted to know how, how the cash register was working out. I don't know what it means by kookaburra, though. What did it say? Played the kookaburra. He was... Yeah, Jack Lee was the kookaburra. Okay. Leave it with me. Okay. Keep going. on. <laughs> um, in round six, Sergio Silvani had a day out at full forward in this game against the Hawks at Glenferry. He finished with six goals, uh, while John Nichols took until this game, which was his 39th, to kick his first goal for the club. Uh, in round seven, they had a win over North. Carlton were undefeated at the top of the ladder. Round eight, they won again over Geelong. 
Um, and Ken Hands was the first ever coach to win his first eight games. Undefeated. Hey. Um, but then they fell. They lost to South Melbourne, embarrassingly. Following their loss, uh, they then lost to Fitzroy. And in that game against Fitzroy, Carlton began the day a man short. So as they were running out, Bob Crow stumbled while running down the race and injured his knee before even reaching the field. And he didn't recover. Limping with obvious pain whenever the ball came his way during the game and failing, failing to keep up with the play, Carlton appealed to the umpire and were allowed to substitute one of their reserves halfway through the first term, although technically Crow's mis- mishap had taken place off the field. Um, which reminds... That, that actually happened to me in a game. Oh, are you kidding? When I was, I was captain. It was my very last game of the season for my school team. Um, running down the race. I'd just given up a big, like, roaring, inspirational speech to rev the team up. Running down, and I slipped over on the bloody race. Oh, you're kidding! Yeah, very embarrassing. I just got up and pretended nothing. Had oh, happened. so you were okay though? Yeah, I was yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 I played yeah. played the game out, but I pretended pretended I had. Oh hadn't done it. I just got up and just kept running, cheering on the lads. Um, but very embarrassing. <laughs> it's just the adrenaline was firing. It was all up and about. Yeah, yeah, it'll happen. Um, after the Blues beat the Jim Francis coach Saints in round eleven, Francis came to congratulate the winning coach, saying. I've come to congratulate you, Ken, on your team's victory, but we won't shake hands. I don't believe you're fair dinkum. Oh. With hands retorting, it's all right with me, Jim. If you feel that way, why did you come? Yeah, fair exactly. Yeah. Um, but Carlton went win-loss, 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 win-win to end the season. They won a thrilling clash against Hawthorne in round 17 by two points, which ended the Hawks' hope of finals. Bill Ark was outstanding on the wing for the Blues, while Alan White, the full forward, kicked five goals for Carlton. Um... So Carlton won four of their last, three of their last four games. So finishing second on the ladder and holding out Collingwood just to finish that in that position. That's right. So uh, their best and fairest winner was John Nichols. Their lead goal kicker was Serge Silvani with forty. So looking good. I ha- haven't been able to find out what that being the kookaburra means, unfortunately. Write us in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which gets us to the top of the ladder. The very top. The pinnacle. And who haven't we talked about yet, Timothy? University? Mm, no, we have not. Well, and we're kind of talking about them, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well played. That's it. Uh, no, the Mighty Ds, on top, where they belong, uh, with 13 wins, four losses and a draw, 142.7%, uh, 54 points. Um, I'm just, just looking through the list, about 200 points ahead of the nearest team in points four. So I'm assuming they won the 250 pounds from Coles that, oh, this God, year. Wait, I won't, won't reveal my... Uh, won't reveal yet. Uh, so coached by Norm Smith, captained by John Beckwith, and uh, I'll leave the best and fairest and the lead goal to get to later. All right, we've got two big debutants as well. Bring it on. Four big Melbourne names. Bob Tazzy Johnson. Yes. Named Tazzy because I already had a Bob Johnson. And Hassaman. The great man. Yeah, so Kaz, tell us a little bit about those two. We have Robert Tazzy Johnson. Uh, Johnson had to stand out of football for a year while he waited for clearance from Tazzy Club North Launceston. A fine footballer who was a natural fullback despite having played most of his Tasmanian football at full forward or centre half forward. He was cool, tall, and a long driving kick. He was one of the best drop kicks in the game, having developed his technique as a youngster kicking a beach ball against a wall. From his first appearance, he displayed great judgment with plenty of dash and initiative. He was a fluent player and played at fullback in 1959 and 60 sides for Melbourne. Uh, But by 64, 
um, flag, uh, he was holding down the back pocket with an occasional turn in the ruck. So, Robert Tazzy Johnson for Melbourne. Thank you. Harold P. Mann, otherwise known as Hassaman, uh, ended up being CEO of the Demons. Um, was a brilliant footballer who originally came from Merbein, where he was spotted by Jim Cardwell, who was on a recruiting mission to check out another player. Ah, I love that story. Uh, because of a transfer in his job with the bank, he moved to Rutherglen the next year and developed his skills in the Ovens and Murray League. On his arrival in Melbourne, he promptly forced his way into the all-conquering demon side. Um, he first played a half-forward on the flank, uh, but took, took over the centre post when Mithen was moved to Ruck Roving. Mann played in Premiership in the Premiership teams in his first two years and again in 64 when he started uh, as a rover because of Melbourne's deficiency around the packs. It was a tactic to surprise Collingwood. He was a gifted player who was also durable and at one stage played 101 games in succession. He won the club best and fairest award in 1962, 63 and 67 and was captain from 65 to 68. As a first year captain in 65, he had to endure the trauma of Norm Smith sacking as a coach and he was actually speaking to the coach on the phone when a messenger arrived to deliver the news of his sacking. So, in response to their grand final loss in 58, the players set out to increase their fitness. Frank Adams, an Australian sprint champion, schooled the players in running and strength training was carried out under the auspices of the Austrian athletic coach Frank Stumpf. <laughs> Frank Stumpf? Franz Strumpfel, the man who had helped Rogers Bannister beat the four-minute mile. Oh, you're kidding. The That's club, huge. Yeah. They also embarked on a summer training program, which was kind of unheard of yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah. In pre-season, Norm Smith declared, I'll get them back on top this season. If I don't, then I'll de deserve a blasting from every Melbourne fan. So really a point to prove. Yeah. Round one was a strong win over Richmond by 47 points. The D's really making a statement at Punt Road Oval, holding the Tigers to just one point in the final quarter while slamming on six goals, five themselves. Barassi trying to atone for his poor grand final, kicking five goals. Hassaman making his debut as the 19th man late in that game. Lovely. Round two was a grand final rematch, and the D's really primed themselves for this game. It was a slog, but their second quarter was very strong, which ultimately saw them kick enough goals to win by 13 in what was a wet game. Then Norm came up against his brother Len, and the Demons couldn't cope again. They trailed by 45 points at halftime and 50 at three-quarter time. Norm tried swinging Laurie Mithen into the forward line in the final quarter, and he kicked six goals one of the Demons' seven last-quarter goals, but ultimately ultimately they lost by couldn't 13 Couldn't get it points. over the line. Yeah. Lost the game early on. They bounced back against the Doggies, Bluey Adams and Ian Ridley kicking four each. Round six against the side that finished last the previous season, Mel Geelong, Melbourne took a time to get going, but in the end they played the better system and teamwork. Their attack, especially in the half-forward line, dominated and Geelong were eclipsed in the roving battle. Two goals from Hassaman in the third quarter took his total to five by the last change. Jeez. He's kicking a few. Then came the game against the Bombers. Before the game, uh, the, Bomber the Demons... Players saw the Bombers working out at the MCG. They'd allowed the Bombers to use the ground. And they were all pumping weights and looking huge. And the players were like, oh, they'll, they'll kill us. Look at them. They're massive. And Norm's like, Norm Smith said, you're not training to be bodybuilders. You're training to be footballers. Good point. The Bombers had the edge in the first quarter. And they opened up an eight-point lead in the second before the Demons used their superior strength to kick away. Uh, opposed to a first-year player, Jeff Tunbridge helped himself to four of his five goals in the first half. It took a third opponent to quietly quiet to finally quieten him down but Melbourne had too many match winners they 
kicked five goals to one in the last 13 minutes of, minutes of the second quarter to take control and ran out 73-point winners. Oof. Top top heavy the Bombers would be. Yeah, that's it. Well, if we're all running four-minute miles, it doesn't matter how big you are if you yeah, can't exactly. catch us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barassi kicked five goals against the Hawks um, in what was Beckwith's 150th game. Round 10 against St Kilda, their accuracy was terrible with two goals from 12 scoring shots in the first quarter and no goals in the last, um, which saw St Kilda kick three goals to throw the Demons into confusion. They ultimately held on by one point and vaulted to the top of the ladder. Probably mm. shouldn't have won that game. They played the opposite against North the following week. At one stage, they'd kicked 15 goals one heading into the third quarter. That is Neil, incredible. Neil Crompton kicked seven goals three and Barassi five. However, Trump, Crompton was told in not-so-subtle words that he would be starting on the bench the following week, despite kicking the score he did. I think he hadn't passed. He hadn't done the team thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, fair enough. He started on the bench the next week. Unbelievable. Following a win over Richmond, the Demons didn't win any of their next three. They lost to Collingwood by three points when they led late. A draw with Fitzroy, when they were, which they were lucky to salvage. Following this, uh, Captain John Beckwith dropped him... Well, John Beckwith... In discussions, and we'll hear about this later, yes. uh, was dropped to the seconds. Um, in the Fitzroy game, Kevin Wright had kicked four goals on him. So Smith sent him back to the reserves to uh, capture some form. And Barassi captained the D's in this game. But in this game, the Doggies won. We talked about that already. Yeah, unbelievable. Three weeks without a win for the first time since 1953 had put the <laughs> Demons on the verge of slipping out of the top two. But just when they needed to find the form against the top of the table, Blues, they did. Leaping back in front of them into the top spot. Both clubs fielded powerful sides with Captain John Beckwith back for the Demons and in heavy conditions, Melbourne's victory was set up with a magnificent first quarter into the wind where they kicked four goals to one, including three to Alan Rowarth. R-O-W-A-R-T-H. Rowarth? Yeah, Rowarth. With the wind in the final term, the Demons ran away with the victory. They kicked five goals to one and won by 45 points. Love it. Barassi then kicked five in a win against Geelong. In the final round, with their spot in the two already sewn up, the Dees played out a low-key last match of the regular season against South and did just enough to take the four points despite Bob Skilton trying to drag the Swans over the line. And we have the Demons finishing on top again. We do. Like the fifth year in a row? Five, fifty-six, percent. Yeah, five, yeah fifth year, fifth in, a year row. in a row. So lead, go- lead goal kicker this year was Brass with 46. Doesn't surprise me. And uh, BNF went to Laurie Mithen. No, so you got... Two midfielders as lead goal kickers and two, you know, two of the greats of the of this yeah. era. So there we go. Would you like to know the results of the GJ Coles leading goal kickers? I absolutely would. All right. So each round we got. So I'll go through each round. Okay. As quickly as I can. Fitzroy with nineteen in round one. Hawthorne and Essendon shared it in round two with eighteen goals, fifteen each. Round three was Hawthorne with fifteen. Round four was Melbourne with nineteen, seventeen. Footscray in round five, Melbourne in round six, Essendon in round seven, Melbourne round eight, South in round nine, Fitzroy round ten, Melbourne round eleven, Essendon round twelve, Richmond round thirteen, Hawthorne round fourteen, Essendon round fifteen, Collingwood round sixteen, Fitzroy round eighteen. But the overall winner of the two hundred and fifty pounds was the Demons. You were right. They won the season with 248 goals. A mass- massive. Yeah. And I'm assuming the averages were around that 17, 18, 19 goal mark. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is what, yeah, what's happened this season, the 2021 season. The, uh, the Swans have won the first two. Yeah. 18 goals in each. Massive. Yeah. There we go. So on to finals. Hey, before we get to finals, though, let's check in with Moz to, uh, to hear oh, about yes. the... Uh, 
the interesting year that was the Brownlow Download. Mm. The Brownlow Download with Moz. South Melbourne's Bob Skilton won the Brownlow this season and he finished on 20 votes. Poor old Verdun Howe from St Kilda also finished on 20 votes, but due to the pesky countback rule, he didn't become an official Brownlow medalist until the ceremony in 1989. Howe was a fullback for the Saints and earned his award by brilliantly attacking the football in the back line. Once the retrospective Brownlow had been sorted, it was official that St Kilda won three Brownlows in a row, 1957, 58 and 59. Now, Bob Skilton had immense success in the VFL. This was only his very first Brownlow and there will be far more to come on him. Finishing equal on 14 votes were four more players. Both Ray Gabalich and Bill Sorong were from Collingwood. Uh, Essendon's Hugh Mitchin and Ted Whitten from Footscray. And Charlie, the Knights Premiership. So the Knight Premiership, uh, again, played uh, under the floodlights there at Lake Oval, um, only for the 12th to the 5th teams uh, out of finals. So in the end, uh, as, as it always um, ends up, there's one team missing this year, though. Okay. South Melbourne didn't make it to the grand final. Ah. Oh, yeah, because they won the last two. Yeah, they won the last two. Bit of home ground advantage. No, yeah. no, no. This year it was uh, Fitzroy and Hawthorne. Okay. And uh, Fitzroy managed to win it. 10-10-70 to Hawthorne's 4-16-40. So Len Smith got a premiership this hey, year also. Good on him. They won something. They won pretty convincingly. And Hawthorne made a grand final. Yeah. Good on them. Finals. So let's take us to the finals. So the very first semi-final, Collingwood-Essendon in front of 86,198 people. Uh, and pretty close in that first quarter, Timmy. Uh, very close. One four to two five, the margin at quarter time. Yeah, look, no one gave the plucky young bombers a chance in this game. Mm. They kind of they they just made the uh, the top four, and Collingwood were on a ten game winning streak. Yeah, going in fits and spurts, the yeah. bombers. Yep. Um, it was a hard fought in the beginning with the margin of solitary point, like you said. But from this point on, the bombers went about their merry way. Their young, youthful legs were able to run the Magpies ragged. They went about their business, kicking six goals two in the third to run out thirty eight point winners. Ron Evans kicked five and Ken Puka with four. I'm really struggling with names today. (laughs) P-E-U-C-K-E-R. Puka? Yeah. Um, Blue Shelton dominated the game, playing a shutdown role on Murray Wiedemann. The Age said it was an inevitable result of a match between an eager, enthusiastic, competent and pacey combination and a slow-moving, disjointed and creaky opponent. Ooh, that is a harsh blow on on the previous premiers. Yeah. Ow. Creaky. Yeah, so there you go. Final score being uh, Collingwood 8 14 62, being trounced by Essendon 14 16 100. That's it. Uh, still sticking by that, um, that age old rule that the first team to 100 usually wins, right? Uh, yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so the second semi, Melbourne Carlton in front of 72,822. Mm. Uh, and I believe Carlton might have been asleep at the beginning of yeah, the Yeah, they didn't score at all. So there was a disagreement between the captains before the game about which ball they would use, ah. leading to one option being used in the first and third quarters and the other in the second and last. You're kidding. Apparently. That is ridiculous. Uh, in the slippery conditions, the two sides slugged it out in the first 10 minutes of the match evenly until Melbourne got the first goal on the board and ran away to a 17-point win while keeping the Blues scoreless. Um, their first goal typified the Demon effort with a ball socked from a pack by Carlton Ruckman stopping on the line. 
only for Barassi to charge through and set up Hassaman to open the scoring. Carlton's first three scores were all rush behinds, and when they only and when they only managed one goal late in the second quarter, the match was effectively over. Mm. So one no score in the first quarter, and then one goal four at half time. Yeah. And there was a series of skirmishes after the as the game went on, and yeah. the fight in the last minute centered around a hundred gamer Jeff Case and was involved in about 28 players with umpires separating the two sides and Melbourne players desperately trying to avoid doing anything to get them rubbed out for the grand final. Yeah, of course. Uh, best players were Barassi, Mithin, Bob Johnson, uh, and Ruaf's fourth game came from only his four kicks for the game. There you go. Yeah, four kicks, four goals. You'd be happy with that. Yeah, love that. So the final score there, Carlton 4-13-37 to Melbourne, 11-15-81. Yeah. So... Uh, Carlton then had to uh, back it up and uh, face Essendon. I'm sure they wanted to get off to a great start in the prelim. In front hey, of, they, they scored more in the first quarter in, in this game. In front of 65,896. And didn't they get going? They kicked one point. Um, <laughs> weather was horrendous for this match. Um, yeah, you can tell from the scores. Yeah, the Bombers kicked only one of the first, one, the only goal of the first quarter. And at one point... Um, in the second, they led by 24 points before Carlton finally came back. So it took Carlton a long time. Um, but they finally turned things around and suddenly Carlton led by three points at half time. The game continued to be a scrappy affair and Carlton edged ahead before late goals to, to Pucker and John Burt. Saw Essendon lead by a goal at the final change. <laughs> Bombers fans started popping champagne bottles. Excited the team was going to run off with it. Uh, but the Blues came back again, aided by the Breeze to trail by only one goal. But then luckily Huey Mitchell snapped two lucky goals and when the siren sounded, the Bombers were seven points ahead and had another crack at the Demons after, uh, after f- 57. Uh, yeah, 57, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that as we said, Carlton there, 7 eight, 50, not being able to get over uh, Essendon's 8 nine, 57. Uh, very disappointing end to the season for the team who finished second. Yeah, for Carlton. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Now, Charlie, this is usually the time we fire up the old way back when machine. Yes. But we're going to do it a little bit differently. Yes. Because I got to talk to John De- John Beckwith. I sat down with the man himself. Which is amazing. The way back when machine is uh, beginning to become uh, unnecessary. Oh, no, I know. Which is great. So, yeah, I sat down and, and we spoke. I spoke to John Beckwith about the 1959 and season and grand final. Jeez, wasn't I furious that I couldn't be yeah, there? Yeah, you were. So, yeah. so give us a, a crowd for that game. So, yeah, uh, 103,506 people were there for the uh, 59 grand final at the G. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's hear that interview with uh, Johnny Beckwith. Um, so what was the response from the team after the 58 in terms of looking into 59? Well, we were very annoyed, very upset uh, that we'd, we'd uh, got sucked in. Yeah. Basically got sucked in by a vigorous Collingwood side. And we wanted to do something about it. That, that was the key. That was drove us on. Uh, 59, really. We really wanted to uh, redeem it. Thank you. Redeem yourself. So, uh, uh, you know, 59 was a tough year, really, a tough year. Um, but you had two new recruits that you had, Hassaman and uh, Tassie Johnson came on. Yeah. They, fit, they seemed to fit in really well. Uh, oh, amazing, amazing. Our uh, Hassa was a great, <coughs> pardon me, half-forward flank centre man, and, and Tassie fitted in the full-back. I had Peter Marcus next to me prior to that and I, he, he was pretty good but Tassie was 
probably one of the best fullbacks I, uh, I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, round three and round fourteen of that season, um, you played Fitzroy, so it was the yeah. Smith brothers playing each other. What was it? <coughs> well, it was the, it was the time that Len Smith uh, introduced the flick pass. Oh. And, and they were virtually throwing the ball. Yeah. And they were very slick side, and Smithy always wanted to beat his brother. And uh, uh, he, th- he said the only way we're going to beat them is every time they flick, let the ball go, keep running and bump, bump it. Yeah. Legally, he, he didn't want to be doing anything dirty, Smithy. He was a very fair player, very fair coach. But that's what we did, and that that started to. They got a, a bit quicker. They started, to, you know, get yeah, panicked. yeah, and we beat them both times because of that. But that must have been after fifty. That must have been nineteen sixty, I suppose, because nineteen fifty nine you played them twice. The first time they absolutely smashed you, and the second time was a draw. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we it worked out what, what eventually. Yeah, because yeah, at this point. Norm had not had lost to all throw, hadn't won three yeah, of the first yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which is, uh, yeah, I found it quite interesting. Was it fun being a part of that? Like, was there an extra bit of spice because it was? Oh uh, well, it was Smithy. Smithy made it a big deal. Yeah. He really did. Um, now you were sent down to the seconds for a little bit in that season as yeah. well. Was yeah. that a self-imposed thing, or did the committee decide that? Well, it, it came out in the papers that I just I wasn't happy with my form, but I I was told by Smithy about two weeks before that my form wasn't very good, and I'd had the bad cork leg when I got picked in the state side in '58, yeah. and it ne- it never really healed. Okay. You know, it was I wasn't quite as quick, and. Uh, he said to me, you're not playing well, if, you know, better do something about it. So the next week I went out and I ball chased yeah. and, and uh, won the trophy from North Melbourne. <laughs> so the next week he couldn't <coughs> say anything at all. Yeah, so, yeah, you dominated, so you came straight back into the side. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't out of the side, but I that, that wasn't an issue. But yeah. the f- next week we played Fitzroy and... Uh, they put Kevin Wright, who was really a centre man, mm-hmm. uh, in the forward pocket and he kicked four goals. And yeah. Smithy came into the selection and said, Well, Becky, uh, you know, your form's no good. Uh, you know, you better f- do something about it. And that's when Cardwell concocted the story that I, I requested to go back, but I didn't actually. No. But you, you played one game in the... Well, that was the other part of the story. <laughs> I go down, uh, we played Footscray at Footscray, and I'm yep. in the second, so I get there early. And I walk into the rooms, and Ron Bagger, the famous Melbourne player, yep. was the coach. And he said, uh, oh, Becky, do you want to be captain today? And I said, oh, cut it out, <laughs> Ron. I said, I'm coming down here to find for me. He said, well, where do you want to play? <laughs> and I said, oh... I said, I've got a choice. He said, yeah. I said, well, I used to play in the centre. I'd love to play in the centre yeah. just to get a relax from this, you know, mining the man for years. Yeah. So I played in the centre and I played reasonably well. It, it was a terrible wet day. Uh, we, we win the second, so I go back as captain, sit on the bench next to Smithy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course... The team plays terribly, badly, yeah. 
and we get beaten and yeah. Smithy rope put the on the bottom of the ladder I think at the stage yeah, as well yeah so anyway uh, Sunday night I get a phone call from Rex Pullen the son yeah. football writer and he's a smooth sly you know slimy sort of reporter and uh, he sort of sucked me up a bit and uh, in the finish he said uh, well how did you play and I said well I played reasonably well I was happy I read the ball well and you know, I, I, I just said I, I was reasonably happy. I didn't say I was a star. And Monday morning, sun, three-inch headline, Beckwith will return. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, God, so I walk into the training at Tuesday, down the strips, and Smithy's waiting for me. He's red in the face. Yeah. He said, what do you think you're doing? And I said, oh, what do you mean, no? He said, you're picking the side. You picked you, you picked, picked yourself in the side. I said, no, I didn't. I said, this is what I told Yeah, Rick. yeah. <laughs> anyway, there was no discussion. They yeah. just put me back. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> but it was a, one of the highlights, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so team finished top of the ladder again, three losses. Yeah. Were you nervous going to the finals again, especially knowing Collingwood was, uh, was there as well? Um, recalling a bit. Yeah, they scraped into to third, but then they lost to Essendon in that first final. Oh, right. So they got knocked out. Yeah. Um, no, not really. We, 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 we had a pretty good side. Uh, I, I think the conference was up. Um, but uh, the grand final itself was the toughest, one of the toughest yeah. games I've played in, really. Essendon came out firing, absolutely firing, and on the back line we, we had a hell of a job trying to stem the tide, yeah. and just before half time uh, they were three goals in front, yeah. and Brassie kicked three enormous goals, a mark, and uh, picked it up off the ground the next one and another mark, and yeah. within five minutes we were back level, yeah. and that got us back in the game because Eston were really on fire. Which was different from the 57 grand final yeah. where you were just dominating yeah. the whole thing. And it was only in the last, uh, third quarter was pretty level, we weren't far in front and we, we we finished well over them in the end, but it was, oh, that was the hardest game I played. Can I take you back to the Carlton semi-final quickly? Yeah. Um, there's a story I read at the start of the game, you had a bit of a disagreement with uh, Bruce Combin about which ball to use. Don't remember anything. Um, I always picked a Sharon because yeah. I, I, I like Tommy Sharon. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but you seem to control that game pretty easily. It seems like in the end Carlton tried to suck you into a bit of fighting and a bit of rough and tumble, but yeah. by that stage the game was over and you, you pretty much smashed Carlton. Yeah, I, I, I must admit I don't remember much about the game, but what I do remember, uh, we... we uh, we, we went straight in the grand final and the, the VFL asked me to uh, come to the members on the Essendon Carlton preliminary final yep. and sit next to Princess Alexander wow. and Bob Mendes. And did you? For a half a game. Wow. For half a game. And that was the hardest half, half a game I've ever put in. <laughs> she was lovely, but he, being a Carlton supporter, and 
being beaten by Essen, he mm. was grumpy. <laughs> Everything I said, he disagreed with. So in the end, I shut up and didn't talk to him. Bugger him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's okay. I can edit that out. Um, and then Essen, like Essen, it was a surprise that Essen beat Carlton. I think everyone took Carlton. That's right. Yeah. And uh, and were you guys preparing like as a football club was Melbourne expecting to meet Carlton in the grand final? Oh, I think so. Yeah, from memory, we we uh, had the wood over Carlton. Essendon always played well against us. I don't know why, but, yeah. uh, but they had some great players, of course. And they also had that. They um, I think Essendon had hired a trainer that season as well, and were yeah. incredibly fit. The thing that stuck in my mind was that. I don't know what stage of the game, but it might have been before half time that um, Samson, the Ruckman, was playing very, very well and, and we were in real trouble, as I said. Uh, and he, he he went down injured. Yeah. And I think that made, a, made the dip, one of the differences we got on top in the ruck. I think that kind of, that, that coincided with when Barassi exploded as well. So, you know, those two things happened and that's what... That's right. And yeah. Melbourne came back into the game. That's right. Um, but then you got on top, you were led by one goal at three-quarter time. Was there any final, like what did Norm say going into that last quarter? No, it was close, but you didn't want to let another grand final slip. Well, yeah, we, we, we knew we were pretty fit. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, Norm, Norm laid it down the line. We, we know we, we, we had to lift our game. Yeah. And we did it very well. But uh, There were no reminders of 58? No, that, that was the next year. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. When the wet weather came and uh, yeah. we played Conagher. No, uh, no, no, no thought about Conagher. We, we just had a hell of a problem with with Essendon, really. Yeah. But that last quarter, you, just, yeah, you, you skipped to a. I think Barassi kicked the goal pretty early on, and you just skipped suddenly to a thirty-seven point win. That's lead. right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, it was quite easy. Yeah. yeah. At what point of that game did you know you'd won the Premiership again? Uh, usually about five minutes to play when, uh, you know, they can't possibly get up. Uh, yeah, and you can actually you, you relax. Never, never think of those things, really. Uh, you just play for the moment. But you must be, there must be a point where, as a captain, you like you can just go, oh, we've got this, I can relax. Like that, <laughs> that weight that's on your shoulders, you know, the whole season trying to redeem yourselves. Yeah. Finally, you can you've won it again, no, yeah. knowing. Yeah. No, it's the fear of losing. I think yeah. more than uh, uh, than anything else that you, you live by. Yeah. So the predominant feeling was joy or relief or relief. Yeah. <coughs> the hard work you put in and the hard game. Yeah. Was it? As I say, it was one of the hardest games I've played. Yeah. Uh, because of that first half, basically, yeah. they, they, they were a great side. Did that make it a more satisfying win then? Yeah, oh, one of the best. Oh, yeah, one yeah. of the best. And then the end of the grand final was a bit different from other grand finals because you had to go and collect the That was the first uh, VFL Premiership Cup and I had to go up into the uh, members uh, and uh, Princess Alexander and... Who you already knew from last week? Uh, uh, very familiar. <laughs> and uh, Sir Dallas Brooks was there and yep. gave me the cup and I just walked down and stood and held it up, you know, through the gate and, yeah. and that was that was it. But, uh, was that something you knew prior to the game or were you told on the ground? Oh, no, I was told prior to the game what, what I had to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if we won. Did everyone understand what it was? the significance of that cup or not really no i think everyone got used to just you know the t- team one they uh, 
you know, carried the captain off the ground and into the rooms. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And now it just happened you had to hold a cup as well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. But, you know, from my point of view, Growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was all about the Premiership Cup, and oh, you know, no. the flag almost seemed secondary. But back then, it was all about the flag. That's right. Yeah. Um, who was the best on best on ground for that Premiership in '59? Uh, Barassi again? Oh, uh, probably. He, he, he was a great finals player, Barassi. Great finals player. One yeah. of the greatest, really. And like you said in that he, second quarter, he like he bought you a he was trailing. A, yeah, he, he was a burst player. He wasn't a sort of 100 minute player he he, 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 he he sort of had quiet moments yeah well I mean if you're at Ruck Rover you, you can't be in all the time but he he, he had a burst that beat most of yeah he was, wasn't at tall he had long arms yeah but he was quick and strong and, yeah uh, great leap great kick yeah and you had a pretty good game as well you were named along, named among the best was I yeah I've got Got this book here, which I found, which is called Great Grand Finals. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because uh, normally uh, I couldn't get in the best and fairest, uh, best in. Uh, well, even it goes through quarter by quarter, yeah. and I think best. Uh, you, you went, you went named the best in the first quarter, but oh, I see. Second quarter, I think you were. Yep, yeah. you went back with best. Yeah. Third quarter. Yeah. Uh, Beckwith, there you go, second best on ground in the third quarter. <coughs> Amazing. And then, yeah, then I'm overall. learning something. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so according yeah. to this article, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were, you were among the best in this game. Oh, well, I must, well have, must have done something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never never remembered the game for that reason, but. Uh, and what did you do to celebrate that flag? Oh, we always had a function in the in the rooms, we had a big dinner afterwards uh, up in the members yeah. um, and then we came back and had a dance and did a dance and all that sort of stuff yeah awesome um, did you savour that one after losing like losing 58 yeah. did you actually yeah. did it mean more and yeah savour it, a bit it more? was mentioned a lot you yeah know, we were redeemed ourselves which yeah it, it doesn't make up for losing it, no it does help do you think melbourne would have won 59 and 60 if it hadn't been for 58. Uh, like if you'd won that, 58. That's been debated all the time, yeah. even as late as last month in, at the Bentley Club, we yeah. still talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a lot a of pl- uh, Bluey Adams before he died reckoned that we might, uh, we wouldn't have been motivated. Yeah. But who, who knows? I know. You don't. It's like as an Essendon supporter, we always look back at '99 and go, you know, we let that one slip by a point in the prelim. But would we have had such a dominant 2000 if we hadn't have, no, that hadn't happened? No, you don't know. And, and as I say, a lot of uh, grand final are decided by injuries and yes, and uh, and uh, that that can you know kill you really. Yeah. Okay. Um, there are all my questions. Um, Thank you. I better go. Awesome. I've got a. All right, so final scores, Charlie, for that game? Final scores there, Essendon 11-12-78, uh, not being enough against a 
Rampaging Melbourne kicking 17-13, Hey, It was closer than the uh, 57 one, at least. It w- And much closer at three-quarter time. Oh, it was a very, very close, close yeah, game yeah. right up until that. Yeah, well, only only a goal in it at three-quarter time. As John said, it was the toughest game he ever played in. Yeah. Um, so some stats from that game. Goal scorers were Brassy with five, Ridley four, Webb three, Bob Johnson two, Turnbridge two, Case one. For Essendon, Gallagher three, Burt one, Clark, Gill, Herbert one. Best for Melbourne were Barassi, Robert, Bob Johnson, Fenton Smith, Lord Ridley Wilson. Beautiful. Um, but as we heard, um, Sir Kenneth Luke presented the very first Premiership Cup in 1959. Yeah. So it was his idea to bring this trophy in and that it should be presented to the Premiership Cup. The seed was sown when he was at Wembley Stadium for the FA Cup final in the 50s. And on presentation of the cup, he believed the VFL should follow suit. Love that. The story goes that Sir Kenneth had one of his junior draftsmen take a facsimile, so a fax of the cup, uh, made out of cardboard across Queen's Parade uh, into North Fitzroy to a small park and to hold it around his head and run a lap. And um, so Sir Kenneth sat there and kind of made sure he could see it from the other side of the street (laughs) to see how clearly he could see the raised trophy. Yeah. See how big um, it needed to be. So at 61 centimetres high, he was satisfied the cup would shine to the back row of the southern stand of the MCG. <laughs> I love the detail. That's so good. And just some uh, some stats here. The cup's made at, takes about 60 hours to work. Is 80% brass. The handles are brass and the oak leaves at the base are nickel silver with 24 karat gold plating. It is painstakingly polished and silver plated on the outside and gold plated on the inside and weighs about 4, Ks, four kilos. Wow. I'm not sure if those are from then or now, but those are the dimensions of the cup. I would assume it hasn't changed. I don't think so, no. Um, yeah, so there you go. First year for the cup. And then, obviously, the clubs could then purchase their cups for prior seasons. So if you wanted, the say, the 1926 one from Melbourne, then Melbourne would have to pay money for so that to be made. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I think all clubs did. You'd be mad not to, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Imagine that if there was still just an empty spot. Yeah. And like, no, we're not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in some other winners as well, Essendon won the under-19s competition, defeating Collingwood. Hawthorne won the reserves, beating Fitzroy. Yes. And the McClellan Trophy went to Collingwood. Really? Yeah, their first McClellan Trophy. There you go. So this gets us to the end of the season. It Let's does. do some retirements very quickly. We've got Bill Barber, umpire, 154 games, seven finals, one grand final, which was his very last game he umpired. Umpire Alan Nash also finishing off, 115 games, 10 finals, three grand finals. Roy Wright, 195 games, 127 goals, two Brownlows. Fred Goldsmith, 119 games, 107 goals, one Brownlow. Bill Gunn, 104 games for South, 101 goals. Alan Jeans, 77 games, 26 goals. Kevin McMahon of North, 119 games, 11 goals. John Brady, captain of North Melbourne, 118 games, 44 goals. Jeff Williams, Geelong, 121 games, one goal, one flag. Neil Trezai, captain of Geelong, 185 games, 272 goals, two flags. Doug Beasy at Carlton, 129 games, 124 goals. Laurie Kerr, 149 games, 48 goals. I mean, these players, some of these players are still dominating. Yeah. They're probably leaving for the country, to be honest. John Kennedy Sr., 164 games for Hawthorne, 29 goals. Again, last we'll hear his name again. We certainly will. Frank Tuck, 131 games, 34 goals. Unlucky to miss both Pies flags in 53 and 58. Yeah. Ron Kingston, 173 games, 7 goals, 1 flag for Collingwood. And finally, Peter Lucas of Collingwood, 177 games, 1 goal, 1 flag. 
the last player coached by Jock McHale to lead the league. Oh, wow. The only remaining player, so he's the last one to leave in, uh, what's that, 59, so 10 years later. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's wrap it up, Charlie. Let's wrap it up. So who won the 1959 Premiership, Timothy? Melbourne. So it was Mighty Demons. Redeeming them. Redeeming themselves. <laughs> Redeeming, absolutely. Uh, who was the leading goal kicker? It was Ron Evans of Essendon. Yes, 69 goals in the main season, uh, 10 in the final series. Uh, our winner of the 1959 Brownlow, as we learned from Moz. Uh, it was Bob Skilton and Verdon Howe. And Verdon Howe, yes. So, but, yeah, well, but, there was count back, but retrospectively yes, awarded. Deservedly so. Absolutely. And a wooden spooner. Footerscray, Foot their spray. first ever. Uh, with a total of three wins as well. Mm. Um, highest score for the season was not Melbourne, it was Fitzroy. There you go. 21 goals, 13, 139 was their highest Len score. Len can't have Norm have anything. No. Danny. Unbelievable. And premiership tallies as of 1959. Collingwood with 13. Essendon still with 10, alphabetically. Melbourne with 10. Damn you. <laughs> for one more season. Carlton with eight, Fitzroy eight, Geelong five, Richmond five, South Melbourne three, Footscray one. Um, let's check in with Kaz to see who he thinks the McCracken Name Award winner is. Well, the McCracken Name Award this week is really easy. I mean, there's a player here called Lindsay Fox. How can you go past this player, Lindsay Fox? Named similarly to none other than Lindsay Fox, the trucking magnate himself. The McCracken this week, Lindsay Fox. And Charlie, that is the 50s. That's the 50s done. We've gone from the heights of Coleman and the dominant Bombers and North Melbourne playing in a grand final. We've had... We've had the Kittens. We've had the Kittens back to back. We had Coleman being rubbed out unfairly. We've had... We had the Doggies getting up. We've had probably the greatest side ever to play in Melbourne in these last five years. Norm Smith dominating. We've had the Smith brothers. The Smith brothers coaching against each other. We've had some absolute legends of the coaching ranks coming through in terms of Hafey and Jeans and Kennedy. Yeah, yes. Television, players, yeah, Television absolutely. coming in. Yes. Huge. Yeah. Bobby Skilton. Bobby Skilton, Ted Whitten. Tigers being Seeing the end of Dick Reynolds. Still, I mean, have we? Almost. (laughs) Almost. But yeah, it's it's been fun, the 50s. Especially for you, I think. Well, look, it's been a great time. You've got two to to go. It's been great to live through. (laughs) But uh, we'll see. Look. I'm up and about. We've yep. won two in a row this year. I'm I'm happy living in the in the present. Two games in a row. You two mean, games no, in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, we're, so, we're feeling good. Yeah. So yeah. join us for the sixties. Those swinging swinging sixties. Sixties. <laughs> yeah. The start of you know all that you know flower power hey, stuff. I guess. St Kilda supporters. We're getting closer. That's it. It's a good time, the 60s. It is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a, lot, there's a lot of variety in terms of the teams that win flags, actually. Mm. And as we just said, you know, the Wayback Wind Machine is becoming less and less uh, needed, it which is, is great yep. for us and great for you guys listening. Hopefully we get, can get some really great interviews. It's so nice to hear some of these guys recounting their anecdotes and hearing <laughs> the in, stories of what happened. So if you know anyone or if you've got any stories yourself, send, send us a message. Please. Let us know. Parent, if you know parents, grandparents, if you were a kid at some of these games or things like that, we'd love to hear some stories. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is a, a very interesting time in, in football and things were starting to yep. really turn from, yep. from a... From a sort of 
a backyard game to a professional sort of outfit. Like yep. it's, this is kind of, it, it's beginning to really turn and slowly, slowly, yep. Yep. but yep. it's happening. It is. Uh, so let's hand it over to Big Red. That's it. Um, and after that, uh, well, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for 1960 and uh, can't wait for it. So until then, hooroo. <laughs> Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day, kick team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1959 season of football from around this great country. First, we take a look at the Sandful, where in the 80th season of competition, we have the Port Adelaide Magpies losing only one game for the season to secure their 28th minor premiership and their 20th club premiership. For those mathematicians out there, that's a whopping one quarter of all of, all of the available premierships in Sandful history going to the Port Adelaide Magpies. Crazy. Their opponent for the 59 season was West Adelaide, and after a slow start to the grand final, West Adelaide were able to create a close contest that ended with a 10-point win to Port Adelaide. The final scores for the game were 13-9-87 to 11-11-77, and 49,000 fans were at the Adelaide Oval to witness this match. The Ken Farmer Award for the Sample leading goal kicker was won by Willie Dittmar from Port Adelaide with 74 goals for the season. The McGarry Medal in the 1959 season was won by Len Fitzgerald from Sturt. Fitzgerald is a three-time winner of the award and is rightfully in both the Sandful and AFL Hall of Fames for his efforts. Len played 96 games for Collingwood across six VFL seasons and was a star when he was recruited at just the age of 15. Len joined Sturt in 1951 after being lured for by greater employment prospects and in such had a storied career with the side where he was the captain at some point, coached, Represented South Australia on 20 occasions and made, made the All-Australian team, all to go along with his three McGarry medals. I tip my hat to you, Len. Over to the Waffle, where they head into the 75th season of competition, and we have another side dominating the season with only three games lost, and it, that goes to the East Perth team. The success, successful season for the Royals has seen them claim their 11th minor premiership and their 12th club premiership. The grand final was played between East Perth and Subiaco at the Subiaco Oval, with 45,000 fans there to witness a game that saw the Royals lead comfortably at every change to secure a 23-point win. Our leading waffle goal kicker for the season was won by Neil Hawke from East Perth with 114 goals for the season. Hawke, to this day, still holds the record for the most goals kicked at the Adelaide Oval in a single match, which is 15, which, he, which is the 15 he kicked while playing one of his five games for Port Adelaide. Even better than that is the fact that Hawke was also a great cricketer, representing South Australia and Western Australia at state level across 145 matches, but also playing a whopping 27 tests for the Australian national team. Crazy. Huge. The Sandover medal was won in the 1959 season by Brian Foley from West Perth. Foley was a 202-game player for West Perth, and along with his Sandover medal, he represented Western Australia 21 times, captained the West Perth side, won two club best and fairest, and a Simpson medal for the best player in the 1960 grand final. So a solid career there indeed. Over to the VFA, and in the 78th year of competition, the premiership was won by Williamstown for their 10th club premiership and their fifth premiership win across the last six seasons of VFA football. They were also the season's minor premier, taking their total of minor premierships to eight, and that, can, that would then complete four in a row. So a really dominant period for the Seagull side. 
Coburg were their opponent in the 1959 Grand Final, and the final scores were 15-21-111 to 11-10-76 in a high-scoring match played at the St Kilda Cricket Ground in front of 26,000 fans. Although a large winning margin of 35 points, Coburg were right in the match after holding Williamstown to just one point in the third quarter, and they went into the last break with a 13-point lead. Their hopes were certainly blasted away by Williamstown, who kicked nine goals, seven in the final quarter, to take the game well away from that Coburg team. The 1959 season also saw Paran expelled from the VFA for the season due to their inability to secure a home ground for their firsts and seconds, who at the time in the VFA played home games at the same ground but on alternate weeks. Due to lack of gate takings for the seconds each week, the local council sought offers from other for other people to use the ground, in which they received many lucrative offers and accepted one of those. Even though the Paran first could still use the ground, the lack of appropriate venue for the Paran seconds meant that the whole club was booted from the VFA for the season. The association made it clear, though, that if they were able to secure a ground for the following season, they would be welcomed back straight away. And indeed, in 1961, uh, 1960, rather, they were. There was some good news to come from this fiasco, though, uh, with Paran winning the premiership in the local Metropolitan League that season after um, really dominating in that local league. And as well as this, Sunshine Football Club, who were the largest and one of the strongest teams in the West at the time, had been showing interest for the past eight seasons to join the VFA, and they were immediately installed to take Paran's place for the 1959 season and remained in the association for the next 30 years. The association's leading goal kicker in the 1959 season was Dennis Oakley from Sandringham with 119 goals for the season. And the 1959 JJ Listen medal for the association's best player was won by Brian Waters from Dandenong. Waters played uh, most of his career at Dandenong before heading to Hawthorne for three seasons. He returned to Dandenong in 1959 and had an immediate impact as well as winning the JJ Listen medal. He won the club's best and fairest. Over to the VAFA, where the Collegians win for the third year in a row, beating Old Scotch for the second time in a row. And finally, in the Northern Territory Football League, St Mary's, known as the Green Machine, have defeated the Darwin Buffaloes by 80 points to claim their third premiership after forming in 1952. The Green Machine have since forged a very successful history in the competition and now have 32 premierships from the 69 seasons that they've played. Yep, that's nearly a premiership every two seasons since their establishment, and they've only missed finals on three occasions. Absolutely crazy. And with that, we wrap up the roundup for the 1959 season of football from around the grounds. Until next time, kick straight. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.